morning, I'm going to read Luke 7, 1 through 23. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the buyer they were carrying him on, and the bearer stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread through, throughout Judea and the surrounding country. John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many people who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John that you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Thanks, Hillary. Good morning, everyone. If we haven't met before, my name's Rob, and I'm so glad you're here today. But even more, I'm glad that Jesus is still at work in the world, and we know that because the sun is shining and fall is coming, and some of us just hate how hot it is. Or am I the only one? No, I think there are seasons that just cause us to go, ah, yes, Jesus is here. And yet there are some times that cause us to go, oh, Jesus, are you here? Like this week, there was that email that, or that voicemail that I knew was coming. And I knew it was coming because we hadn't bought uh, new technology in a while in our house. And so I listened after work to this voicemail from someone in my house that will remain nameless. So it could be uh, dad or it could be husband. Um, but my phone is not working anymore. The battery will not last through a whole day. 
I try to do one app and it, I can watch it drain. This is not working. I love you. <laughs> so this person will remain nameless, but the point is our tech needs this restart. And so a new battery and we're on our way, unfortunately, not a new phone. But I don't think it's just, ah, uh, bummer. Oh. I don't think it's just our technology that needs a restart. Like as much as I love fall, part of the reason I love fall is because actually I love summer. In fact, I love it so much and I realize that it's such a short season that I love the daylight. So I get up early and I stay up late and all the end of June and all of July and by the end of August, I am completely wiped out. And I'm, if I don't have a restart, I'm not gonna be a good person. I think some of us, I mean, the young people that I've talked to have said when summer rolls around, oh, I can't wait to start this project, or I can't wait to get this job, or I even want to grow in my faith. But by the end of the summer, they haven't started the project, they haven't grown in their faith, they might not even have the job, they just got distracted with other things. And so we long for these restarts, but we don't exactly know how to do them. We think it's actually about working harder or trying harder or doing something new. But in actuality, it's about engaging our soul and seeing and asking the right questions. So for a moment, just think about where you're at right now and what kind of a restart you need. Talk to a few people who are facing really actually distressing or depressing situations. Uh, deployment that's coming, a separation that's happened, even a death that's happened. For other families, it's injury or illness. And for some, it's just starting a new routine, starting a new school year. Each of these things are causing stress in their lives, and it's a restart, but it's not necessarily one that's welcomed. Well, I think in this scripture that we just had, God shows us the questions that we need to ask to actually have this new beginning. So let's just open the word and look at it. In Luke 7 here, the writer gives us three stories that at first seem like they might be unrelated. There's a Roman officer, a centurion, then there's this widow, and then there's John the Baptist or John the prophet. And what we see in this first story is that there's a servant who's sick. Now, first of all, it's a centurion servant. That's a Roman officer that's in charge of about 100 soldiers. They're the keepers and guards of the Roman peace, the Pax Romana, if you've heard of it before. The Pax Romana means that as long as you don't mess with the peace of Rome, you're fine. But once you go against the authority of Rome, then there is no peace until there's destruction. So he's probably not the most favored person in town. He's probably not a Jewish person at that time. The religious people or God's people were considered the Jews. And so he has authority, but he might be wondering, what can I do? We don't know how many doctors he's gone to, how many medicines he's tried, how much help he's reached out for. All we know is his servant is sick. And I think he infers this question that's a better one that we need to ask. If you look at Luke 7 here, it says, when Jesus finished saying all these things to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. Now, 
what he finished saying was this Sermon on the Mount that Luke um, abbreviates in chapter five or chapter six. And it's this very famous sermon that he gives. It's one of his first public teachings. He's done some healing before. He'll do some healing after. But this is where he's now come on the scene. And so quite potentially the Roman officer has heard of him because he's a great teacher. Anybody heard Jesus? Anybody heard someone say, yeah, I've, I believe Jesus is a great teacher. Yeah? Okay, a few heads, a few hands. All right. Well, he reaches out to Jesus and asks him to come and heal his servant. I think the question that he's asking is not what can I do, but what do I think Jesus can do? Now, when you're faced with a new season or a new situation, do you ask this question? What do I think Jesus can do? I think it's the right question to ask. I just don't think we ask it very often. And if I'm honest, it's because I think either it's irrelevant, it's too spiritual, or it just sounds uneducated. At least that's what other people say, and I've thought it a few times myself. But if you think about it, even with all our advancements in technology and education and medicine, how often do you find yourself distracted or distressed or overwhelmed, unsure of what to do? So what if we asked this question? What if we asked, what do I think Jesus can do in this situation? Because I think Jesus could, could do something. But I think part of the reason we don't ask it is also because we're afraid of the question that has to come right after it. Why would Jesus do something? Why do I think Jesus would do something? That's actually what's inferred in the next section. When the Roman officer sends these Jewish leaders to Jesus, they give him reasons of why they should help. Do you see it? It's in verses 4 and 5. I think we're going to have it. Do we have it on the screen? When they came to him, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you come and do this because he loves our nation and he's built our synagogue. Jesus, I want you to do this because of what I've done. Sometimes we call that bargaining with God. Anybody ever done a bargaining with God prayer? I'm, I guess I'm the only one. No. Why do I think Jesus will help? I really think he can do things in my life. When I'm faced with situations where I'm not sure how to go next and move into my next season, I start to wonder the next question, really, why should he help? Or why would he help? Now, it's almost like, remember, the Roman officer has authority, but he's an outsider to this faith. And he's an outsider to these people. The only thing he might know about Jesus, maybe the healings, but sure the teachings. And then the text tells us, instead of just sending religious leaders, it's almost like he knows they might misinterpret him. So it says that he sends some friends. Who might friends be of a Roman officer? Probably other officers. Yeah, probably other Roman officers. Probably not people that Jesus hangs out with too much. 
He's taking a risk, but I think he's making an incredible faith step. Why do I think Jesus should help? Not based on what I can do, but based on what Jesus can do. What do I think Jesus can do? I mean, he sends friends, and he says not he deserves to have you help, but I actually don't deserve to have you come, Jesus. The only reason that I think you can do this is because I'm a man under authority, and I realize the power I have. I can tell people to go here and do this, and I can tell them to do that, and they will do it, and I see that same authority and that same power in you, Jesus. So you just say the word, and I know that my servant will be well. And Jesus says, that's incredible faith. I haven't found faith like that in all of God's people. Not just, what do I think Jesus can do? But why do I think he would help? That's what we see in the second story. After he sends some friends, Jesus enters this funeral processional. There's a widow, there's a whole community, and there's this corpse. And it says that it's the only son of a widow, which is a huge statement. He's telling us a ton of that. First of all, the only son means that she has no other children, or at least she has no other sons. And since no daughters are mentioned, she's alone. And the fact that she's a widow means her spouse has passed away. And so a widow is, and because she's a woman, in that time, she can't own property, she can't sell property, and it's very hard to have a job outside of that. So she is grieving several losses here. It's not just the physical death. And in, in the Bible, whenever death is referenced, it's always more than physical. There's a relational loss here. The widow loses her, has already lost her husband, and now she's lost her family. But there's not just that relational loss. There's also a future loss. There's no more grandkids. There's no chance of grandkids. There's no inheritance to pass on. There's no traditions to pass on. There's no legacy to pass on. And there's the financial loss. Because she can't buy and sell she is going to have to rely on other people and, and struggle for her livelihood. See, it would be very easy for me if I was in that place to give up. And I don't think anyone would blame me. But Jesus doesn't see a give up. He sees a new beginning. First of all, the text says that he sees her. And I would go, well, of course he sees her. No, whenever something's written down, it's for a purpose. He sees her. Because you know people that just notice you, and then people that see you. You can tell when someone sees you. Jesus sees her. He sees her value. He sees her grief. He sees her loss. And in compassion, he moves to action. In that moment, he restores her son. In that moment, he raises him to life. In that moment, he gives her a new beginning. It's actually exactly what the Roman officer did. The Roman officer, it says, sees the servant 
in his sickness and in his dying, has compassion on him, and then moves to action by sending Jesus. See, because Jesus actually has the power of a restart in our life. If he is God, he is the one who speaks and a new creation is given. He's the one who starts new things in our life and he's the only one who can bring those things with a guarantee. That actually brings us right to the third story and the third question. It says in verse 16 that they were all filled with awe and praise God. Of course, there's not a funeral anymore. There's a reunion happening. And so this whole town is praising God. They're saying, a great prophet has appeared among us. And God has come to help his people. She didn't even ask for help. Why would God help me? Because of who he is. And then John, the prophet, the Baptist, his disciples tell him about these things happening, and so John called two of them and sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? See, what John is asking there is really the so what of the whole thing. What difference does it make? I think you might be asking after you know, a few minutes of talking about this, okay, what difference does it make? I mean, there's these questions, will I ask them in my day-to-day -day life? Okay, so what do I think Jesus can do? Why do I think he would help? Even if I ask those questions, what I really have to ask is what John is asking. Are you the one? Are you the Christ? Who do I think Jesus is? That's the question that we need to ask if we want a real restart, a new beginning in our life. Who do we think Jesus is? Is he just a great teacher? That's what the people said when they saw Jesus come down from the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, he's a great teacher. The problem with believing Jesus is only a great teacher is that we can then pick and choose which of his wisdom and truth we want to follow. If he's this healer and we believe that he's a healer, that's great. He can do miracles. He has the power to do that. But it also means that we can just make him this superhero or this genie in a bottle that we go to in a time of need to fix our problem, but we don't have a relationship with. And if he's just a prophet, then we think that he's the one to bring this new kingdom, but we wonder if he can. See, Jesus isn't just a teacher or a prophet, or a healer. He's all of those things, and more. And that's what John is asking. He's asking, are you the one? Because if I think Jesus can help, and I think he would help, then do I think he is the one who can fix it all? Like restore all things to God. That's what John has been doing. He's been preparing this way. He believed that he heard from God. His parents affirmed that he heard from God. And he's doing this thing in his life. And it ends in a place where he's in prison. That's why he doesn't go ask Jesus himself. He's sitting in prison. And we'll know later that he actually gets executed. And you and I, we're not John the Baptist. But we might be doing what we think God has told us to do. And we might be going down this road that in some ways we've been affirmed in. In other ways, it's heading in a place where we're like, whoa, how did I get here? And Jesus is healing and doing these things that 
the one who is to come should do, but he's not doing everything in the way that John thought. And maybe you're in a place where you're like, I thought this is what you told me to do, God. I thought you wanted me to go down this road, and now I am in this place that feels like a dead end. Or now I'm in this place that feels like I'm between a rock and a hard place. I can't see the way through. Can you see that anywhere there's Jesus, if he's all these things, then there's a new beginning. Anywhere Jesus is, the new beginning is possible. With the servant, he heals him. With the widow, she restores, he restores her son. With John, he offers the evidence, but doesn't make the choice for him. Wherever you're at, Jesus offers a new beginning. He's the only way we can have a new beginning. See, what these people believed about Jesus actually mattered in their everyday life. Their Monday to Saturday life, not just their Sunday life. And in the society that we live in, we see Jesus, or at least belief in Jesus, as optional. Like, maybe you've had these conversations before. Oh, you believe in Jesus? That's cool. Especially if it makes you more kind, more generous, more understanding, more compassionate. Or, oh, you believe in Jesus? That's concerning especially if it makes you less tolerant, more convinced of something, and more sure of what right and wrong is. We can't simply put Jesus in this category of optional. He either is everything he said he is, or he's crazy, or he's a liar. There are no other options. Jesus has people claim his divinity. He proclaims his divinity. He accepts people worshiping him. He is, or at least he says he is, the son of God. And if he's the son of God, then new beginnings are possible at any moment. So what kind of a restart do you think you need? Or what kind of a reset are you faced with? And it's not your choice, but it's there. I know some of you are in restarts or resets that you have not chosen. But Jesus is there. He offers healing and actually offers a new beginning. Whatever it is, wherever it is. Not based on what you've done, not because you deserve it, because of who he is. He is the one who will breathe life into a new situation. If you're in a new school and you're feeling anxiety about that, he is your guide and peace. If you are sitting in the hospital injured, he is your strength and your healer. Just let him in. If, he, if you're sick or injured, he is your healing and your guide. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He has the keys to life. 
and death. We don't have to wonder if he'll help us or if he's strong enough. He will. Because even if we finish living life here on earth, he brings us into the eternal life. Anywhere Jesus is present, a new beginning is possible. Do you see his presence in your situation? Have you invited him into that situation every day? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Every day, all the time, Jesus is present. Jesus wants to be your healer. He'll never invite himself in, but he's always waiting. He is your protection when you're deployed. He is your spouse when you're divorced. He's your parent when you're orphaned. He's your wise counselor when you're in college freaking out about what you're going to do with your life. He is always present. Maybe you've heard the Blaise Pascal, Pascal quote that there's a God-shaped void in every person's heart. Now, I used to get a little annoyed or not understand it, but it means that if you want to find fulfillment in partying, then you know, go ahead, seek every thrill, get every high, pursue every opportunity, but at the end of the night and after the hangover has passed, you'll still be empty. You want to go after popularity and find likes and, you know, publish, post, pick every pick, every tweet, every shot, great. You might amass a huge popular popularity status, but at the end of the day, as soon as you stop, you're tweeting, you're posting, your pics, you're whatever, you'll still feel alone. Because God has put eternity in our hearts. We didn't do that. God did that. Nothing outside of Christ will ever fill the emptiness. Jesus is our source, our strength, our sustainer, and our joy, our contentment, and our hope. And anywhere he is, we can have a new beginning. He transforms everything for everyone. So at Restoration, we just call that being Christ-centered. It doesn't mean you have to be weird. It just means you invite Jesus into every opportunity, whether it's one you rejoice in or one you were given and you hate. He's there. He loves you. And he works. I have story after story after story of person, even just this summer, who invited Jesus into a situation and they found healing. They found reconciliation. They found forgiveness. I hope that those people are willing to share those stories. But you and I can have those same things. So would you just pause and ask him what moment you need to invite him into, where you need that restart. And we trust that he'll not only bring it, but make a new beginning that's better than you could ever imagine. Lord, we sing before we opened your word, thanking you for setting us free.
And God, when we say yes to you, Jesus, you do set us free. And some of us run to that relationship with you. And we invite you into every moment. But many of us get distracted. We put our trust or our hope or our source of joy in our technology or our relationships or our work or whatever. And we get lost along the way. God, I pray that we would see this moment, any moment, as a chance for a new beginning, that we'd invite you into the center of it to be our Lord and our leader and our lover, to receive not only strength, not only help, but healing and hope, eternal hope. You are the Lord. And no matter where we are or who we are or what we've done, you invite us to receive that forgiveness, to put our trust in you. So Jesus, we do put our trust in you. We know that we can't do it on our own and that you are the one who has to heal us and make us whole. But your word says that you lived the perfect life and you provided that, that atonement, that, that penalty payment for death. And so we accept that again, some of us again and again. We accept and receive you. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you guide and lead our life. Bring us to that new beginning we need.